This is Foxy Visions, a podcast about visions of life. Welcome to Foxy Visions. I'm your host, PJ, and I'm really excited today to have Larry Lent here with me. Larry's a really interesting gentleman, and he has a vision. And I I think we should ask him uh, a little bit about himself uh, first. So, Larry, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your life? Wow, my life. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. 61 years, yeah. Uh, Well, I started out like every normal kid, but, you know, how long does that last? Um, By 12 years old, I was incarcerated in the California Youth Authority. Um, I didn't start out an angry kid. I came from a family of um, 100 and... 69 relatives my grandma had uh, 10 children and so when she died at 93 uh, we counted a hundred and 112 grandkids counting the greats so wonderful family Irish uh, immigrants um, so my mom comes from a, a, a farm culture um, just really super family oriented lots of loving brothers and sisters and uh, right out of high school, married a kid that she had no idea what his culture was um, right out of high school. And so uh, they're this young couple and have uh, four little boys, one after another. So they must have been 24, 25 with uh, a handful. Wow. And my, my dad was um, a Lakota Indian. So notorious for, you know, a low tolerance to alcohol and a typical young guy. Well, that's he, what they say anyway. Yeah, he was drinking early early in their marriage and it just it just destroyed their marriage. Yeah, I so, imagine. Yep, so he left and um, back then divorce was pretty uncommon. So we were kind of um, an exception to the rule to go to school as little kids, um, kindergarten, first grade, second grade. You're just starting to form your identity, who you are, not only just your family anymore, but who you are in your extended community, which is for a little kid's school. So I get to school, and uh, I didn't know it was a problem, but I found out um, everybody was supposed to have a dad. And so uh, back in 1960, um, it was real uncommon not to. So I think real quickly I sort of resented uh, just my circumstances, I guess. Were you resenting your father? I think I did. I think I was mad that he left. And I don't really even have any memories of him. But I remember ha- I remember a hatred, like an anger. So you just had kind of a deep-seated anger just yeah. in general. In general, yeah. And I think in school you kind of gravitate toward kids that are like you, that you have something in common with. Yeah. So I hung with the kids who were in the back of the room, weren't interested in school, and we just were loud and goofy and got in trouble all the time. And I developed early on a kind of a mind of my own, and I I can remember developing a philosophy, I guess you could call it. I don't know if I actually intellectualized it, but uh, I can remember thinking that if the world didn't love me, then why should I love it? Wow, man, that's pretty deep to think. And how old were you then? Maybe in first, second grade. So you, you were still pretty young and having some some issues going on. Yeah, in, too in, young. In your mind, for sure. Yeah, too young to be angry already. Yeah. Yeah, I should have been enjoying life as a kid and 
having fun riding my bike and playing with my dog. And I had all that. My mom took good care of us, but I just lost my way. I just I think anger can, anger can really divide you from people. And so I didn't want anybody bonding with me. I didn't want to be close to anybody. I was just mad at the world. All right, so really just an angry youth, and, and, and you had a pretty uh, interesting home situation going on. I think yeah. anybody would, would understand that, that that's something that not everyone goes through. Yeah, it was different, um, especially, especially back then, I yeah. think. Yeah. There were troubled kids and troublemakers, but, but um, yeah, most kids aren't going to have a deep psychological problem in that community at that time. It was pretty farm community everybody had it pretty good at home okay well all right so from there what happened uh so i was incarcerated uh by 12 years old we were living in the san francisco bay area because my mom um met the guy next door he was a um corvallis uh the university there um student and he was working on his PhD and he had to go to Berkeley to finish and he got a doctorate in nuclear physics of all things and so uh, he moved us to he married my mom so here's this guy he's 23 years old in Corval living in Corvallis and next door to him lives this woman with four kids four little boys and this brave soul I mean a courageous man um, took responsibility for his fondness for my mom and married the girl next door that had four kids. <laughs> you know, pretty brave dude. And moved us to the Bay Area. And um, that's where uh, I was exposed to uh, a whole nother uh, culture of kids that were um, just uh, acting out the same behavior I, ha I was acting out. And in a real different way, they were pretty much criminals um, so I had a string of felony arrests by 12 years old I had uh, committed strong-arm robbery robbery uh, drug possession drug sales just all kinds of crazy stuff and so you were in with the wrong crowd as well yeah yeah just following these other angry kids yeah you know and lost my way had no real concept of uh, just um, life you know I didn't know life could be enjoyed so I think I was just getting back at life <laughs> yeah, it, sure sound, it sure sounds like you were getting back at, at yeah. some anger and, and other things that you had going on yeah definitely. I, yeah I, I mean I'm sure some people might be able to re relate with that um, why don't you why don't you go ahead and tell us you know um, what happened like a little later on maybe yeah, so, uh, so when I got out of uh, the California Authority Juvenile Hall in San Leandro there, um, I was getting close to high school age, and uh, I quickly realized I didn't uh, ever want to go back there. Pretty terrifying experience. And so um, I dropped out of high school and uh, um, kind of flew below the radar pretty good. Um, I kind of knew how to stay out of trouble. Um, but my reasons for staying out of trouble changed. Um, I kind of got involved in another culture of criminal activity, but they were intelligently resourceful at uh, avoiding the law. And so we were taught by uh, my friends that I was hanging out with um, how to sell drugs by their older brothers. And uh, 
So this is back in the 70s, and pretty much sex, drugs, and rock and roll were a, a permeating culture amongst young people. And so um, we just lived to party. Uh, I think I started uh, recreationally using drugs um, in the beginning just for fun. We just had access to every kind of um, street drug, just about anything we wanted. Um, and so I came from a family that had money. We were middle class, so um, all the older guys I hung out with had jobs and money and good, nice cars and stuff. So they uh, they taught us how to uh, to party. And so in the beginning, it was just I, I a lot wanna, of fun I wanna, at that I want to stop you for a second. Okay. I don't mean to, but so you grew up on a farm oh, yeah. in the country. Yeah. And so you, you, you had that whole situation going where maybe they looked down on you and your family yeah and then you move from that and um now now you're in in a middle class situation mm -hmm. you have a little bit of material things mm -hmm. the people around you have some material things mm -hmm. but you're still in all the wrong mindset mm -hmm. so you have all this stuff but it's not helping yeah not at all yeah. all right i'll let you continue i just want yeah, to no that's good insight there yeah, yeah. That is, that is funny, yeah. But I didn't have any maturity or any concept of um, belonging or my role in society or who I wanted to be. I didn't really have any goals or anything because I was still that angry kid. And so um, really no real, real direction. And uh, after a while, the, the recreational drug use kind of became, um, became indulgent and very uh, dangerous and toxic. And so the drug use uh, increased the severity of um, the types of drugs we, we were using became more dangerous. I started losing friends uh, going uh, off to prison. I had a, a friend uh, who died. He was, we were sniffing paint in a garage. Oh, uh, wow, man. And he, we had this unique uh, little system for getting high if we didn't have any money. And so we'd take a toilet paper roll or uh, the paper part of a like a paper towel roll and we'd stuff it with a rag and then we'd take it and use it uh, to inhale the fumes by spraying the paint into the tube and let the rag filter the actual paint and we'd just completely fill our lungs with the fumes of it and uh, so we were like just toasted just just bouncing off the walls high just crazy burning up our brain cells and uh he he uh was just barely uh even able to talk and the rag he was using uh got saturated with paint and just slipped out the paper towel roll and unbeknownst to him and so he picks that paper towel roll up sticks it in his mouth and literally inhaled straight paint into his lungs and killed him and I, we got started getting the first taste of the severity of, you know, what we were doing to ourselves. But I was so depressed and angry still, the darkness of it kind of almost fed my morose, my, my um, loathing of myself as a person, having felt like all the other kids uh, got to have all these nurturing things, and I was just uh, denied... Uh, Basically, because I didn't have a father, I just felt like orphaned from society. And um, so, really, the tragic things that happened to me started feeding my own 
self of self sense of self-loathing and i just went downhill fast i i had some overdoses um that uh, i wasn't suicidal but i think in a in a cowardly way i was committing suicide um so psychologically maybe just dropping out of life not caring and um, just no concept of God or, or destiny or eternity. Um, I, I felt like uh, probably if, if uh, you know, if, if, if I, I, I felt like, really actually, I, I don't think I even believed there was a God, maybe. Um, I had been raised in a Catholic church, so intellectually I had the concept of, of who, who they said God was. But in my mind, uh, in my resentful heart, I felt like, you know, if, 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 if God loved us so much and he was so powerful, he could make everything, um, then where the hell is he? So you had this, this whole life that this kind of was going downhill. All the things that you had weren't helping. You were focusing on maybe the emotional stability others had and you wanted but didn't have yeah and so jealousy maybe you had a friend die on you and, yeah. and were you present for that uh i was in the living room and we all just scattered when he heard he died but i was actually there and he was a friend of mine and it, it was startling it it scared me yeah i could only imagine man but it still didn't it just still didn't put you on the right track it didn't uh, i felt like that's where i was headed you know, and it was just the writing on the wall. So it just depressed me more, uh, made me use more. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was just pretty much addicted at that point, what you might call a poly drug addiction, where I was addicted to just being high. I'd been high so long, I was never sober or straight. So I was pretty much addicted to that state of mind of just being numb. And, and this was all from your childhood. You're basically from your early childhood to your young adulthood yeah yeah nobody did anything to me really i mean so so i should have been happy you know so okay what happened what happened from there though like let's jump forward a little bit and just like where so we we got a picture of of how you developed into this sort of a person that you became um why don't you tell us what did you do as an adult I mean, like, what were yeah, your motivations? Um, yeah, so so I really didn't get to do that. Uh, I my parents put me in a drug community, drug uh, uh, no uh, uh, drug f and alcohol free community in the Bay Area, um, and so to help me, kind of a rehabilitation. And I was only maybe fifteen at that stage, so not an adult yet. So uh, I became an adult in that, uh, what you might call a residential drug treatment facility. Uh, I was there, because I was there two years. Well, it's probably not the best place for anybody to really become an adult. In some ways it was. I kind of grew up, I learned a trade, they taught me a lot of stuff about sobriety. So I had a lot of motivation to change my life. I really did. Um, uh, I had, I had uh, some hope, um, I, met, I made some friends. I kind of did grow up. But it was it was kind of innate in me to just uh, always take the easy route. I could always get high if things got tough. So when I reached to the point where I was going to leave that uh, treatment facility, um, 
I literally lasted one week. Before you went back and <laughs> used? Back using, yeah. Wow, man. And I fully intended to take what I had learned and experienced there and live a fulfilling, self-motivated, uh, constructive, happy life with the things I had learned there. And Literally in one week I was getting high. I, and so I just, you, you were in a different environment, and it had an impact on your life as an adult now. It did. It was good. But when you got back out into the real world, you, you just went right back to the same behaviors. I did, and I, it shocked me. I really didn't know it was in me to do that. I really felt motivated. But I think fear, I just quit, had quit as a default so many different things. I quit everything. Quit my family, quit school. I quit life. Basically, so I was used to doing that. If it got, if things got tough, what I did, I quit. You just quit. You didn't. I just quit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I couldn't endure hardship for even three weeks. I mean, well, and I it wasn't even that hard. Well, I don't think that you're you're the only individual that <laughs> that has that as an issue. That's true. Um, and and maybe this maybe this story of your life will help somebody to see that. So. All right, let's let's jump forward a little further now. I mean, we're probably not going to cover everything in your life, anyways. But um, we'll just hit some key highlight points of, you know, like uh, where where did you go from there? Or did you stay in California? Yeah, I did. did. You, I, did you get a job? Did I did? Did you get married? What, what's going on now? I did. I'd learned some real good work skills, and so I did get a job. I hung out with my brothers who all had jobs. We were from a culture of successful, overachieving uh, intellectuals, people that knew how to accomplish things, gifted, talented people, because I grew up in a middle class, you know, culture, society. So that's where I went back to. And, it, it, you know, and having been in that residential treatment program, they were enhancing all of that. So, so yeah. So that was, did actually help you get It did help skills. me a lot, yeah. But, you know, at the same time, uh, heavily using drugs i mean the main reason you went didn't take hold but no, yeah some yeah. of this other stuff they drilled into you stuck right? yeah it did and i had developed some maturity but um i really actually literally to tell you the truth though i went on what you would call uh, another um i think it was almost 10 year drug binge where i was literally just comatose we'd get up in the morning and i'd have a six-pack drank before I even got to work on the way to work and right. so got I'd get off work and starting on the quarter core bills I drank every night you know and on the weekends we'd save our money and just binge out whatever kind of drugs we could afford and it was just pretty much uh, pretty much uh, uh, a lifestyle that matured any kind of development um, prevented me from growing up I think I was still really just that little kid that angry little kid and um so I, I know that you were in the military at one point. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? What, what, what led you to the military and, and what happened while you were in there? That was interesting. I was, uh, I was 18 years old and I, had, I, had, uh, I needed help. I was kind of running from the law, kind of running from um, circumstances. And my, my back was against the wall. I was cornered into kind of going into the military just as a way of escaping all the trouble that was starting to crop up from my lifestyle. So all the legal problems. Yeah, all that. It was a way out. A I didn't, way out. I wasn't court ordered, but just so, about. So in a way, from from the pattern in your life, you know, this might sound weird, but you were actually running 
from life to the military. (laughs) You were quitting life for the military. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the military was a way to, even a way that I quit life. (laughs) It was a way out for you. It was an escape. I was always escaping. It was an escape. Yeah. I'd mess up for so long as I could, and then I'd have to escape. I'm glad that you can laugh about that. I was an escape artist. But, yeah, go go ahead. Yeah. So I got in there, and that's that was post Vietnam. So I went in in '75, I think, and uh, all these guys who who were non-voluntary uh, 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 fighting force, they were drafted, hated the military. They hated that they were sent to Vietnam, and these guys were uh, drug addicted. So I got in there, and it, it I was exposed to a whole nother level of drug abuse that I did not even know existed. Um, they taught us to smuggle. Uh, we were all in and out of every Asian port you can think of, using every kind of drug you can think of, right purely from its source. We used um, China white heroin, right from poppies grown in Burma, you know, and so th- bought it in Thailand and smuggled it to San Diego. Well, let's be clear on this. This is, <laughs> this is, this is not a commercial for people to join the military. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Learn a skill, yeah. There's no army of one in this. So I didn't last real, real long. Um, I had a couple overdoses. I fell off the ship in the middle of the South China Sea, believe it or not. You fell into the ocean. Fell into the ocean. To it, no glamour story at all. Nothing of honor. I literally just fell off the ship. So is that, <laughs> is that something that happens frequently? In, <laughs> no. no. Okay, so. No, occasionally. And uh, really, I started kind of detecting something different now in my life. Because uh, I knew they didn't find guys who fell overboard ever. And so they found me in 45 minutes, which to me uh, set my whole heart on a new path. I would call that a miracle. (laughs) Yeah, and I thought it was a miracle. (laughs) At the time, I'm sure you did. I did, and it was my first exposure really to, oh, maybe there is somebody up there. (laughs) Right, right, right. So previously you were saying that you you, you weren't really thinking much about God. Uh, uh, So this was pretty much the first experience that you had where you're like, well, maybe there's something. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but It something. was a divine intervention. Right. I, I should have been dead, definitely. Well, yeah. So I got thrown into detox. They they uh, sent me to CAC Center in the Philippines, detoxed me, and then sent me to San Diego Naval Drug Rehabilitation mm. Center. And uh, pretty much along with thousands of other guys in the military, because they were going to start a no-tolerance policy and uh, just ship us drug abusers out while they still could. And uh, so they they uh, sent us down there to the Drug Rehabilitation Center and, and uh, gave us medical discharges. And so, without any real rehabilitation. And so here I am, uh, wow, just a mess. But I did, I had, the for the first time, uh, kind of a concept that um, maybe my life was valuable if there was this God who rescued me like that. Maybe he did have a purpose for for making me and I I know that sounds intellectual that people don't go around thinking like that but but I really do remember thinking that so here's something interesting you you ran away from life to the military (laughs) to almost die and then start thinking about God running away to the military it would have been easier just to start thinking about God right (laughs) yeah I think some people might think so yeah but that's not your life so no I was challenging it. Right. You know, 
This is way I'm interesting. Daring At this point, I'm so interested now, and I kind of want to know what happens next. <laughs> yeah, so it was interesting because um, I kind of uh, tried to medicate that real good, and I went back home having been discharged and went on another real deep drug binge. And um, I found myself one night in my grandmother's house sitting in front of the TV watching Pat Robertson on the 700 Club intellectualize the actual existence of God. And I'd never heard anybody talk about anything remotely close to, and, to the intellectualness of that idea. And so and this was Pat Robertson? shocked me, yeah. And the most ridiculous character I thought that re- represented everything ridiculous and silly about Christianity. I, you know, I would see the faith healers and thought they were just money grubbing, fast talking, slick con artists. I think a lot of them are. (laughs) Maybe so, but But I thought he was the epitome of that. And here I wasn't shocked by what he was saying. Well, in in a way I can kind of relate because my, my first real exposure to any kind of solid Christian theology was actually from Pat Robertson no watching the 700 Club. How shocking. Um, yeah, kind of, but yeah. but that's not, this isn't really my story, so let's... Okay, so let's I'm listening continue. to him, yeah. and uh, I find myself crying. I mean, like like little tears of uh, just, uh, just, you know, really uh, love. And, I, you know, I, I, I thought, wow, this is just too much right so you weren't he, buying it all yet i was kind of feeling it though okay. <laughs> he was he he had captured my heart really and so but like everything else i had done i ran for my i ran uh for my life scared that god actually maybe did exist and was chasing me <laughs> so at this point then let's put this into perspective for a moment you, you you were running from ang- from being angry at the world to running from the world to the military to starting to think God is real and now you're trying to run from God. Yeah, I'm just running. <laughs> okay. So this is this is your life in a nutshell basically yeah, at yeah. this whole point. So really to 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 just kind of I think to to uh out of fear I think um, I just medicated myself even heavier and uh, had a series of drug overdoses. I won't go into all the crazy details, but uh, moving by geographically all over the place, just scared to death. Really, literally, I, th- I think now looking at it, it's the first time I've ever said this and realized it, but I think I was really just running away from God and hi- trying to hide anywhere I could. Yeah. And every time yeah. I turned around, little things would happen, and I would just realize man i think i think he's on my case <laughs> well i could definitely see that just from this from so far from what you've been saying yeah it, it sounds like at that point you're just running from god yeah you're not running from anything else really at and that you know point. what's funny i've never said that and just now in this interview just really actually i'm t- not kidding i've heard a lot of people say that i've never said that because i don't remember I never really. Uh, you didn't think I of never yourself allowed as, myself to right. to admit that, 
And I'm, a, I'm looking back on it right now in this moment and seeing it. Well, I think it's okay to admit. I did sense his presence. I think there was <laughs> I think there was a prophet in the Bible, but you know, got oh, swallowed by a whale. Yeah. I, I, I remember I remember that story. Yeah. So that's yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> we know how that ends. Yeah. But let's find out how your story ends. So make a long story short, I'm out with my buddies. I had a good job, nice cars. We're just crashing and burning. Um, I'm just just a wreck. I mean, we're just like one uh, one just crazy tragic story after another. I was losing friends to car accidents. We're just binging out every night of the week, every weekend, just hardcore consumption of drugs and alcohol. Just crazy, crazy, crazy people. My brothers. I mean, this whole culture of people. And so um, I'm at I'm a I'm I'm get off of work. Uh, I down my quarter corbels. I eat dinner, and I'm looking for a bar to drink in that night. And so I drive clear to Martinez, about 30 miles away, and meet up with some buddies after work, and just drank myself comatose. And uh, usually when I would do that, I would I would do uh, meth wasn't real popular back then. It was mostly just a biker drug. But I knew some guys that had meth all the time. So when I'd go out drinking, I'd go get meth so I could drink more and longer all night. If I had the money to. And okay. so I did that okay. and literally just blitzed out my brain. And I ended up in the middle of a, the main street in Martinez, uh, unconscious in the middle of the road, like a three-lane uh, road going both directions with lots of cars on it. So the police got called. And, uh, and the only reason I ended up there because I remember I couldn't find my car. And so um, they picked me up. And uh, somehow I had lost uh, a shoe. I had lost a shirt. I was shirtless. Um, I had no wallet, no ID. They didn't know who I was. And so I woke up the next morning in the psych ward. And uh, apparently I had been babbling. And so they thought I was maybe uh, in, on some kind of psychotic break. But they quickly determined through my my uh, urinalysis and my blood screen that I had been just been using just all these chemicals and so they they uh, started talking to me about drug rehab and they had a detox center at the hospital they had had brought me into and so they detoxed me and uh, it took just a few days went through detox and basically sobered up and the so they found out I was vet, uh, was a veteran and they put me in the Menlo Park or they they asked me if I wanted to go to the Menlo Park Veterans Administration Drug Rehabilitation Program and so I said, at that point, I I was just pretty well worn out, and I just said, yeah, you know. You what? were just ready to get just some help. Get, I don't know if I was ready to get some help. You were I wanted for, out of the psych ward. You were ready for something different. <laughs> I really was ready for some help uh, for the first time I think in my whole life. I was twenty four, I think, and so it's a six month program. They shipped me over there. I think they brought me there in the back of a police car, even. And so I wouldn't escape, probably. Probably uh, so, yeah. yeah. And so I end up there in a pretty effective program, six month, pretty intense. Uh, to graduate, you got to accomplish all this stuff. And so um, I'm in there, and um, I'm reaching kind of toward the end of the program. And and having been in a two year residential treatment uh, community, I I kind of knew the language, I knew the concepts. I knew what sobriety was. I knew I wanted it at this stage, and I wanted to try again. Um, but I it kept haunting me that one week that I got out 
of Synanon and was using. So I really was terrified. It, my family didn't want much to do with, with me at that stage. So I hadn't have anywhere to go. So I, I kind of had to work the program. So, but the problem was, was I was scared to death and the old default me started kicking in and I was looking for somewhere to run, some way to give up, some way to quit. So I, I knew I couldn't this time because I didn't have anywhere to go. And uh, I ended up outside all alone. Um, I'd gotten in some trouble actually and I was, I was out uh, doing my time, uh, doing my punishment, pulling weeds in this volleyball court. And so they got me out there all by myself while they're in, I think they were eating dinner or lunch or something. So I'm out there pulling weeds and everything just dawned on me, the predicament I was in. And I wasn't really feeling sorry for myself, but I started crying. And uh, I wasn't really one to cry a lot. I am now. I'm a real sensitive guy. I'll cry at movies, cry at weddings, cry at everything. But that wasn't my normal behavior back then. I was kind of a tough guy. And so here I am, I'm crying and little tears are coming out. Before I knew it, I was uncontrollably bawling like a baby. Just heaving, just snot coming out my nose. I mean, I'm just falling apart. I probably literally cried for 10, 15 solid minutes. So much so my ribs hurt. I mean, I felt all the pain I had caused myself um, just coming out. And I didn't know what was happening. It was kind of a relief then. It was a relief. It really, really felt good. It feels kind of good when you're crying like that. And I didn't really know why I was crying. I know I was scared and everything, but I I started in a weird way kind of praying and I was it started out just mad at God for for just abandoning me and I started feeling all the old father issues, you know, of not having a father and I thought, um, you know, God's no better than him and even if he does exist you know how dare him just leave me alone like that and so anyway i'm kind of like feeling sorry for myself i guess too in a lot of ways so i'm crying and but this funny thing happened is uh it was almost like i realized he was answering me right there on the spot and um it was weird i really felt somebody with me to the point where I looked up from where I was laying on my face in this this dirt pile and I looked up for whoever it was watching me you know how when you sent somebody watching you sure and there was no one there <laughs> and it really freaked me out because I knew it was God <laughs> and and that's who you've been running from this whole and time that, yeah and he's he's cornered me <laughs> you're caught. I have nowhere to go I'm busted <laughs> but by your but own now I need him I feel like maybe I need him. And, and you're making a choice to talk to him at this time. Yeah, but I'm fighting it. I don't want to need him. I resent him. I believe he's there now. Really, I think it was really the birth of my faith, really, even though it wasn't joyous or remarkable in that way. Like, you hear people get saved in church, and they're just hallelujah and happy, and it changes their life. I really resented that I he would corner me in, but but I started being honest, you know, and I thought, Larry, you got nowhere to go, dude. And so I really told him, I literally said, God, if you're real, and that's you, you're literally real, and not just some phony religion, then God, there is no reason why you can't help me. And I I had a picture in my mind when I, as I said, of a father loving this child, a father coming home, and I. Felt it. I felt like uh, a f- like my father 
finally showed up and and I literally like like my father father and uh, but I sensed it was God though I and I literally felt God not just made up in my mind not some concoction of fear I didn't need it to happen I didn't even want it to happen and here I am you felt this sniveling angry kid with God wrapping his arms around me telling me patting me on the back and saying Larry I love you it's gonna be all right I've been waiting for you to come to this point in your life all this time I just I love, love you and I want to help you and I just fell apart I just completely fell apart in love I mean I am I could not embrace it. it was I let him let an me. amazing experience with God's presence in your life. Amazing. I and um, you know that's powerful to hear, Larry. It was very powerful. It, it wasn't me. Believe me, I did nothing to deserve it. I didn't ask for it. In fact, I was running from it. And yet here he was. I thought, wow, what maturity? What what a cool. Fa I really remember thinking that. What a cool father. Right, what an awesome father. Right, I'm. I, no, I'm <laughs> so this was the beginning of the change of oh, Larry. Yeah, man, I so, changed right there. There was no evolution of change. I literally, from that day on, did not ever use drugs again. That, ever. That is amazing. I didn't want to. So in your life, <laughs> this was this was it. It's you've been through I all the treat. You've been through all the <laughs> treatments they had to throw at you. Yeah. You soaked up all the the worldly stuff they and used it, but yep. as far as the part about getting sober, you kind of threw that out the window. Yeah, and so, I had money. So this I had was it. I this was it for you. There was no other option. No. It was this or death. I knew I would die. You were yeah. You were on that path. You were you yeah. were headed to death. But now, but the closer you get to that, the scarier it is. <laughs> I imagine it I is. I thought I could deal with it before. But <laughs> well, in you know, as human beings, we yeah. all think that. But Invincible. Right, right. We're <laughs> not. We're not. For anybody listening out there, trust me, we're not bulletproof. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> so now, I think we're gonna we're gonna ch uh, change course a little bit. Okay. So we know now that. That you've come to to a new Larry, and not yeah. not by yourself. You, oh, in your new. in your words, God redeemed you at that time from yourself. He did. I didn't even know that was a word, but he did. He's well, yeah. He saved me from myself. <laughs> yeah, he did. Well, he did. Yeah. <laughs> it, yes, he yeah. saved you from yourself. Yeah. Same same concept. Same thing. So. All right. At that time, now you're 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 doing that, and and your whole life changed in an instant. You no longer have a desire to use. You no longer are trying to just be on a path of no. death and destruction. I felt loved. You're loved. You're cared for, and and you're moving forward. I felt so, relieved. Hopeful. So. so were you were you did you have a family um, no I didn't I met my wife in church in fact uh, I didn't get to go to a church for a long time because uh, you had to get a pass and you could go out you know kind of limited uh, little periods of time only usually just to get a job you know look like a job interview or something you had to have a specific reason to get a pass to get out so you were in program. some sort of treatment program yeah I was still in that VA program yeah but now you were different. I'm different, man. They don't need, and so so uh, so I started shopping because I had this sense that there must be other people like me, and I knew that church culture had existed out there somewhere, 
and uh, that Pat Robertson thing kept coming back to me, and I thought, you know, yeah. there's some people kind of out there that are probably just like me, and I wanted to find them because I was I was still kind of lonely. I didn't know where I belonged. I didn't have any sense of right, purpose well, or future. So I thought. So you knew that there was a God. I knew there was a God. You knew I, that He loved you. And I felt Him like. You knew that He was there with you. Yeah. But you still felt the belonging for other people. A need. I felt a need still for help and love. And I, I think people need to hear this, Larry. I yeah. think this is really. Let's talk about that for a oh, second okay. because that is interesting. In in reality, you know, a lot of people say this is all you need. Yeah, it might be all you need, oh, yeah. but we're designed, and if you believe in a designer, wow, then yeah. we're designed to be around other people. Yeah, we're we're cool. social creatures, yeah. designed to be social creatures, and 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 that those things are good to hear. You yeah, know? yeah. I did have a, a sense of that I needed that I belong somewhere. And I yearned for love. I mean, I never, I just had repelled everyone. And well, now you had a sense of what love is. Yeah. And so, I wanted so more. you wanted more. Yeah. <laughs> and you wanted to share that with others as well. That, yeah, that's true. I did. I was exhilarated. I was excited about life. Uh, no one still hadn't had any contact with any Christian person yet, but I, I had a sense of it somehow. So I think God was just drawing me to become a part of his family, of a community that where I could grow. And I had never read the Bible. So uh, I found one and started reading it. And uh, it just changed my whole life. I started understanding that, uh, you know, it was real. It was real. Not, not, in fact, so not a religion. You know, I hated Christians. They just seemed just silly to me right but here i was really curious about um them <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> so your whole mindset changed on a dime yeah and and now that you're still struggling with your concepts of 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 life and what 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 is okay and who is okay and you've been rebelling so long that you're not even sure but you want to find out yeah i knew i belonged somewhere because i had ran and ripped and roared so many years that i know i i didn't even know what straight people did <laughs> you know i didn't know where i was gonna fit in i only knew really drug people and so um it scared me i'd go to a church and these people were way different not only different from straight people that didn't use drugs and alcohol but they were even different from them and it was a little <laughs> intimidating and i remember um kind of unique kind of very unique but i was drawn to it i could go i'd go into these churches and i was shopping really i went to maybe five six seven eight different churches searching for where god wanted me and I knew, I, I knew the minute I walked into the door if it, if it was for me, and I hadn't really quite sensed that yet. And one day I walked into this church, man, and I'm telling you that them people were my family. <laughs> right off the bat. Right off the bat. And I mean, so, I and so now, them. so now that you've you've experienced this love that God had for you. Yeah, it was unique. So too. you walk into a church and you for the first time to really experience the church. Exactly. And the first thing that happens is you're surrounded by love. Love. Pure love. You know what I did? I didn't run away. I dove in. I was up at the front when the so, preacher got done preaching, at, begging them to baptize me. me. <laughs> yeah, I bet. First day in church. Uh, I bet. Let me ask you a question, though. There. So this first time you walked in there, yeah. and you had all these resentments from the past, and you yeah. didn't know what to expect. 
Right. Was there any time in your mind at that moment to think, hey, maybe this is all a scam still? I didn't really. So didn't. at this point, it was all gone. Because I wasn't really even looking at people. God had me in this place in my head when I walked through the doors where I was I was feeling the love. I was okay. seeing the love. I felt his love. The preacher preached to me. I mean, to me in a way that... Man, he read my mail. No one in the world could have been reading my mind. He read my mind. I mean, it was so, only God could do that. And I just I just trusted it. I don't even know why. I was the most untrusting dude in the world. And I was just, you know how when they do those exercises and you fall back and let people catch you? Yeah. I just did that. I said, you know what? God, I trust you brought me here. <laughs> yeah. And I stayed there. I, didn't, I haven't left the church yet. Well, I have in other ways but i mean i was there i was there at that church five years and they sure. were they were my family. i mean you've been to other other christian churches yeah. but you've remained a christian is what you're saying oh yeah i have not left the church just the love of god's people is is transforming i mean all right even so god's love but even the the love that comes from his people was transforming and i think that's part of what i wanted wanted to get out there mm -hmm. for a minute because I don't think everyone quite understands that. There's a yeah, lot. I don't think people trust that. There's a lot of people that will look look at something, and I'm guilty of it too. And so are you, apparently, by your yeah. own admission. Yeah. That we we look at something and we try to find faults, mm -hmm. but Question we're it, but we're mi apart. but we end up missing the things that we needed the most. Yeah, you're right. And so, throw like, the baby out with the bath throwing water. the baby out with the <laughs> bathwater. There you go. That's that, that old guy, saying. That guy did this, so I don't trust him. Right. And the, right. It wasn't even that they were better than anybody else. So these guys. In fact, you know what? This church I got saved in were all all a bunch of ex drug addicts. A lot of them. And they were just messed up as me. And it, and I thought, man. And but they had as much the same much love. love. They did. It was just right. love, man. So that's really great to hear. So let. Let's uh let's get ahead a little bit okay. and so now that now that you're you're in um in a Christian worldview you you believe in the Lord you have uh, a whole complete change that's visible that anyone could see from where you were at I'm, totally I, I'm sure if you went back to some of the judges and POs and things from your past they would not believe it I have I have blown everyone's mind that ever knew me still to this day they're freaking out over it <laughs> well I'm glad I'm glad you are who you are because I met you as you are and I, I hope you stay that way oh, I, I've been staying this way so at for a while now i don't i, I don't think god's gonna let me I, uh, I, leave I, him <laughs> he's too no. good to me so at some point you you wrote a book yeah and that's really interesting to me that you wrote a book because huh, yeah. you know it's not every day that people just decide hey i'm gonna write a book yeah that's true and and it plays into the vision that you have but it's not necessarily your vision but why don't you explain a little bit about your book and okay. and what what led to you writing it and okay. those things. Well, it's called Born Dead, Buried Alive, and um, so uh, it was maybe four or five uh, Christmases ago, and um, I my my daughters uh, were getting married, both of them, and I I had this this sense of um, of of. Uh, not not a destiny, but um, I had a sense that I needed to leave a legacy for not just my children, but I started seeing that uh, 
I was going to have some little grandbabies and, you know, the, the family tree was going to start branching out. And um, I had been through so much. I just wanted my children's children to know how awesome God was. And I thought, you know, I have to uh, write it all down. Um, and so, so that no matter what happens, no matter who's left behind after I leave this earth, they'll know what happened to Papa. How he how he ran from God his whole life, and God just loved him anyway, and chased me down, just hugged me one day, and it changed my whole life. And I wanted him to hear it from me. I didn't want him to hear it from Pat Robertson. I didn't want them to distrust uh, the the culture, the church, and all that. Like happens to kids who are raised in church. I wanted to hear it from Papa. And so I wrote it down as a gift uh, for my kids. And um, that's really awesome to that, hear. And that's what it was. And I gave it to them. It wasn't really for you. Is <laughs> so you had you had something left of who you were for your family to see yeah. and and understand. Yeah. That the this is the God that met you where you were at. Yeah. I wanted my legacy to be God to them. I wanted them to know Him and to trust Him. And I knew if I could tell it well enough. They would believe it. So I actually have read your book, and it's really awesome. If anyone wants to read it, awesome, thank you. So you know, uh, I'm I'm sure is it on on Amazon? It's on Amazon. It's everywhere. You can buy it in any bookstore. I'll let you go ahead and. Yeah, you can buy it anywhere that. books are sold. You can order it if they don't have it on the shelf. It's, uh, they have some on the shelf at Rainbow West, and it's sold a little little in the beginning. But um, I don't have a huge platform. Not millions of people don't know me, and I don't have marketing skills or money but it's it really is a beautiful pure book because it's from my words and it's just my story man and you can't take that from me so it is really beautiful and it's not anything to do with because uh, i'm so good but god really just sat me down and let me do that for my grandkids and i never knew it'd be a book but a well i'm an editor got wind of it and published it and I'm like now, so, so you now I've got a life beyond. You weren't my even intending for I this to be published. Was. It was really just something for your family. It really, really was. And yeah. so to me, that's more powerful because I did not know that until just now. But wow, cool. I did read it, and I will say I was amazed and blown away by by the story. Awesome. And also, you know, it's like I said, it's not every day someone writes a book. I mean relatively few, few people actually sit down and take the time to do that yeah, it's a and big effort it is a big effort but it's an impactful one in this book and i just like to share that with people yeah, out well there thanks. and so you know your book probably covers some topics that we've been talking about but there's a lot more in there as well and i i'd like to just uh skip forward ahead to what what is your vision larry what is the vision that's been placed in your life well i'm 61 and ever since that moment God touched me with his love, um, I've just wanted people to know. I didn't even know we were supposed to go around telling people that. And so then I become a Christian. I found out it's our commission. <laughs> we're it's our job. So you have a you have a job now. Yeah, and, and just and it's one that you care about deeply. Deeply, yeah. And so, so at sixty one, I think um I know my time of influence is, you know, limited. So I'm just doing everything I can to be as real as I can and to love everyone that comes in uh, into my life 
in some way to impress upon them how beautiful and how loving and forgiving and real God is. And if they'll just draw close to him, they're going to be amazed that he really literally will draw close to them back. And it'll, it'll absolutely, you can't meet God like that and it not completely transform your life from the heart out, from the inside out. And so who wouldn't want someone to have that? I mean, it's like if you had the cure for cancer, you would want to tell everybody, you right? You would want to share it right away. <laughs> and so I learned that when, when that birth of faith happens, you're born again. And so as a born again member of God's family of believers, people that have come to him like that and been embraced by his love and forgiveness, that that lasts for literally ever and ever and ever. And you have a special destiny with him. And, you know, it's just... Why, why, why run from that? I mean, why say no to that? I well, mean, well, you're not talking about the fountain of youth. Well, this is like forever. Man. Well, now you're not <laughs> running anymore. No, so no, no. you you have this vision of wanting to share what you've received. Yeah, that's my vision. Yeah, and and let's let's talk about how that plays out. So. Um, and I know a little bit about that. So there's there's a place place that you you go downtown here. And, oh yeah. And and you have a little ministry area. Why don't you talk about yeah. that a little bit? Okay. So uh, through uh, YWAM Youth with a Mission, it's a global missionary organization, the largest in the world, uh, well funded, well manned. I mean, there's literally millions of them all over the planet, uh, telling people about Jesus. Simply as is that. And they go to these camps and training facilities, and they give their life to the Lord and devote themselves to telling people how awesome God is. And so uh, I hooked up with one of these guys, and uh, I went through their training, and it's called a Gospel Guy. It's a Focus uh, with a Focus for a Ministry, and it's the Gospel Guy through YWAM, and they have an office downtown. So I have a key, and there's all this equipment. I can go down there, and I take a sign that says Gospel Guy, and I'm one of maybe 20 Gospel Guys here in town, and it's different Christian teachers and pastors and just regular guys that are committed to just standing on the corner somewhere downtown and not preaching the gospel like, you know, in some obnoxious way, you know, where you're telling some people they don't something they don't know or anything like that we just try to engage people in conversations and just explain the gospel just explain a normal language like how it's possible that god's literally real and this thing called the bible is like absolutely true man right okay that's great man <laughs> so i do I that, love that. Yeah. so now you're you're involved in that as a ministry yep you you also are involved in ministry at your church why don't yeah. you explain that a little bit okay so i'm the outreach pastor and so outreach pastor so my job is to connect the church uh with the community with people find just creative any way we can to, uh, as a group as a church to express the gospel to people that are outside of our church so so right now there's a couple different ways we do it um, i go out and feed homeless people and i just engage them these are guys that are living in camps all over salem uh, not usually the guys downtown you see flying signs or or anything like that but they're in the outskirts of town and they live in the woods and so they're kind of removed from any kind of resources. So we bring them food and just 
love on them, just make friends with them. I'm just normal with them. I don't go in there preaching. But that's another way to uh, to outreach, to express the gospel. Because uh, Jesus said, you know, hey, look, look, man, uh, anybody you do that for, you've done it for me. And so to me, that's being Jesus. It's not just a bunch of talk. It's action. I mean, love is action. Yep. Love's a verb. It isn't. It's real easy to pray for your city and not do anything. You've at received all for and now you're giving yeah. back. And I don't want to be that kind of Christian that just is a praise for everybody and never does nothing for anybody, <laughs> right? There's a lot. We we've well, been branded as people like that, but we're really, really not. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with prayer. No, not at all. But you, but you, prayer without works is nothing. I mean, so if you see somebody who's hurting and they need a dollar. Why pray for him? Why not just give him a dollar, right? <laughs> sure. And I'm, I'm with you on that, actually. So so this is really great to hear. So you, you're involved in that, and that's really awesome, too. So that that's a couple of ministry things that you're doing. And also that there's something else that, that you just started going on. And if you'd like to explain a little bit about that, oh, you can. Okay, yeah, this is really cool, too. So we're trying to uh, just get involved with the uh, the... Uh, 12-step recovery community of really literally thousands of people here in Salem that are trying desperately to live a life without drugs and alcohol. They've experienced addiction, and it's a tough, crippling thing. And so we're trying to, as a church, be a place where uh, people can come to a 12-step meeting and through the course of time experience God's forgiveness and love. And just take that 12-step program, just just a inch not much it's a traditional 12-step meeting but just a little closer to the distinction of you know it's jesus that's our higher power our high, we're trusting our higher power to help us we've we've humbly given our lives to him and said we need help but it isn't just some vague god out there this is jesus that's awesome to hear larry that's just really awesome to hear and I really appreciate you taking the time to give this interview, and your life is is so interesting. But it 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 sounds like it wasn't by accident, and and God, they, and God set me up. I yeah exactly. <laughs> he tricked me from from the ocean pickup. Yeah, Let, let's just be real on that. Yeah. So. So it's really just been a, my pleasure to have you on Foxy you. Visions, and I'd, I'd just like to to thank you. And thank you. You're welcome. All right, we're going to end this interview. Everybody have a great day. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Foxy Visions production, Visions of Life. If you enjoyed this podcast, please continue to support us. We really do appreciate all of our listeners.